Hello, Lakeview Church. Guys, you're getting the hang of it. I love it. I love it. I just want to take a moment. If this is your first time with us, I see a lot of new faces. I just want to say welcome. We are so glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to be here with us. And I just want to let everybody here in this room know that we are an everyday church for everyday people. And we are striving every day to follow Jesus, to live generously, and to make a difference. And if you're looking for a church home, if you're a college student, you're looking for a church away from home, you just found it. This is it right here. You don't need to look any further. You're here, and we welcome you, and we would love to have you be a part of this community of faith. We are just simply trying to take the next steps in our spiritual journey, and we want to invite you into that journey with us. I want to just take a moment as we do here just to look at that camera and just welcome everybody who is joining us online today. I know that there are a host of people who are gathering with us wherever you're at today. And whether you're sitting in your living room on that comfy couch or whether you're in that recliner at the assisted living facility or whether you're on vacation or visiting family somewhere else, we're glad you're here Thank you for taking the time to gather with us today. And Lakeview Church, for those of you who are here in the room, can we just welcome those in our congregation who are joining us online? If I look a little lost today, it's because Kayla's gone. She has had had a baby, and she is just... She just keeps this place running, and I don't know what I'm going to do without her, so pray for me, please. Uh, uh, We're so happy for Jared and Kayla, and we are praying for them during this time. Uh, Someone asked me how they're doing, and I said, well, they're doing like all new parents do. There's no manual that comes with those kids, and they're trying to figure it out, and so pray for them and pray for us, and uh, we're excited about new life new life in our church. We're excited about that. Today we're finishing up a series that we've been in for the last few weeks. We've just finished 21 days of prayer. Yesterday was day 21. We had a great time here in the sanctuary just seeking the Lord and just spreading out across our campus and praying for God to work in and among and through us this fall. And today we're finishing up the message series that we've been walking through during the month of August. And this message series has uh, been focused on the spirit-filled life. And we've been talking about the importance of being under the influence and complete control of the Holy Spirit. And our key verse for this message series has been Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with with the Holy Spirit. And just like a person, when they, when they consume alcohol and they're, they're known as being under the influence of alcohol, what they've done in that moment is they've given control of some of their mental faculties and some of their decision making and some of their behaviors. They've given control of themselves over to the substance that they've consumed. In the same way, we are called as God's people to give ourselves over to the influence and control of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, you cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit being in your life. And we've talked about that in this series. And we said really the journey of the Christian faith is about learning to surrender more of who we are to the control and the influence of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, there are some impacts, some some things that begin to happen in our life. 
And we started by talking about the fact that when we give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit, one of the very first things that begins to occur in our lives is the Holy Spirit comes in like a refiner and he begins to make us pure and holy. And we looked at Galatians chapter five where it says, you know, the, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. All the things that God doesn't want in our lives, those things are obvious and we give ourselves to those until we come under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, the Spirit begins to push those things out of our lives and in its place, the Spirit produces the fruit of Christ-like character. And this is what we want, right? To grow to become more like Jesus day by day and moment by moment, and the Spirit helps us do that. Last week, we looked at the, the early church in the book of Acts where the threats of the, of the temple leaders came against the church, and they were told, remember, never speak in the name of Jesus ever again. Don't ever go out and teach in his name ever again. And Peter and John go back to the believers that are assembled in that house, and they, they enter into a time of prayer because their first response is, prayer. And they pray to God and they don't pray for safety and comfort. They filter what's happening to them through the word of God. Remember they said Psalm 2? We knew this would happen. The nations would plot against the Lord and against his anointed one. And then they prayed their first priority, which was kingdom advancement. They didn't pray for safety and comfort. God, keep us safe. Keep us comfortable keep us protected. No, they said, God, make us bold and courageous so that we can continue to preach your word and perform signs and wonders in your name so that the kingdom of God can continue to expand its influence. So the spirit refines us. He makes us pure and holy and he empowers us. He makes us bold and courageous. Today, I want to talk to you about how the Holy Spirit equips us to serve as the church. And we're going to walk through a passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Zoe did a great job reading that for us, and I didn't make her read the entire chapter, but I'm going to teach from the entire chapter. I thought I'd be kind to Zoe today and just have her read a selected passage out of 1 Corinthians 12, but we're going to look at the whole chapter. So if you've got a Bible or a device with a Bible app on it, please find 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is one passage in the Bible that talks about the design of the church and the way that the Holy Spirit of God equips the church for service to fulfill the mission of Christ. There are two other New Testament passages which we're not gonna look at today, but I want you to just be aware of them and maybe write them down to read and study on your own. Ephesians chapter four, verses one through 16, and Romans chapter 12, verses three through eight. Again, those passages, Ephesians chapter four, verses one through 16, Romans chapter 12, verses three through eight. Those two passages, along with 1 Corinthians 12, really create a teaching in the New Testament church about how God designed the church to function and about how God intends for the church to function. And you might be wondering, why are we not studying those other two passages this morning? Well, because they only give me about 25 minutes. And I know that you guys have other things to do. So we're going to study one of the passages this morning. And the one I've chosen for us to dig into is 1 Corinthians 12, because I think it's the one that is the most comprehensive. 
I think it covers more ground than the other two. I think it says the same things. I think it emphasizes the same design and God's intention for the church. But we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to look at three key concepts that come right out of the text that help us understand how the church is designed. And what I want us to see today is how the church is designed so that we can align ourselves to that design so that we can become everything that God intends for the church to be. I think that uh, it's important for us to know how did God intend for the church to function because if we can line ourselves up with God's intention, we are more likely to become exactly the church he wants us to be and exactly the church he needs us to be. So let's look at the text together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and the very first concept that I want to just pull out from this passage and make sure we're all clear on is the concept of unity. And I want you to understand this morning that, that the first thing that we must get a hold of when we think about the way God intends for the church to function is that the church is one body. The church is one body. And this is really important for us to understand for a variety of reasons. Most importantly, it's important for us to understand this because this is how God intends the church to function. Now, let me tell you how the church sometimes functions. Sometimes, not this church, not this church, other churches, they have division. They, they form up little groups, and sometimes there's conflict between the groups. Again, not this church, other churches, right? It wouldn't happen here, but it happens. And so what happens inside the church is that people, individuals sometimes will, will fight against one another. They'll have conflict, which by the way, conflict is not ungodly. It's normal. Get, get any two human beings in a room for a long enough time and there will be conflict. That's why when married couples say, we've never fought a day in our life, I just think, you lie. Because <laughs> there's just conflict. It happens, it's normal, it's human. And that's okay. It's not conflict that is ungodly, it's what we do with it that can become ungodly or can really bring honor to the Father. And inside of the church, sometimes there's division. Sometimes people are opposed to one another. They have different perspectives and philosophies and ideas and, and, and ways of doing things, different methodologies, different things that they emphasize, and, and it creates tension. And unless we deal with that conflict for the sake of unity, that can fester and become division. So when you have something against someone else and you go talk to a third party about the person you have something against. I, I want to be really kind today, but I also want to be really honest with you. You're sinning. How's that for just saying it like it is? Matthew 18 is really, really clear. And this is the teaching of Jesus. So if you got a problem with it, take it up with him. 
Matthew chapter 18, if you have something against a brother or sister, go talk to everyone else about them. Is that what Jesus said? No, Jesus said go directly to them. Why? Because unity and relational harmony inside the church matter. This is actually the way the world will know that we are Christians. And if we are not willing to deal with our conflict and create unity and relational harmony inside of the church, then we are outside of God's plan. And I don't know any other way to describe that except just to call it what it is. When you're outside of God's plan, that's missing the mark. That's sin. We have to live together in unity because there's only one body. When you start dividing the body, you got problems, right? And if you don't think that's true, just try cutting off a limb. It'll definitely be painful. You're definitely gonna lose some effectiveness, some functionality. You might even lose your life. Right, you can't divide the body. If you do, it ceases to be a body and you got problems. In this passage of scripture, Paul writes about the church in verses 12 and 13. He says, the human body has many parts, but many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. But we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share that same spirit. Whether you like it or not, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're family. We are brothers and sisters. We are all part of one body, one church. And we cannot allow division to exist anywhere among us. So if there is someone that today you harbor something against, you need to go to that person and you need to ask for forgiveness and move towards reconciliation. This is the will of God. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to wonder, does God want you to do that? I'm telling you right now, God wants you to move together into unity. This is the will of God for his church because he only has one body. He only has one body. Now, that's the, the kind of zoomed in lens. But I want to just say a quick word about kind of the, the wider lens of the church. Because there's lots of different churches. And by churches, we mean local churches, local congregations that gather together all across our community. Right? There, there are all kinds of, I mean, there's like 932 Wesleyan churches in Grant County. There aren't that many, but it seems like that many because that's just kind of the way it is, right? And, but then there's all kinds of other churches with other banners over their door and all kinds of different names. And, and, and here's what I want to help us see today. And I, I hope you see yourself this way. Listen, I grew up Wesleyan. Right? I grew up in a Wesleyan church. I've been a Wesleyan my whole life. But I want you to know that even though that is 100% true, I am a Christian first. Amen. There is only one body. 
Those who claim the name of Christ, those who have come under the teaching of Jesus in, in his word and revealed what the doctrine of the church is and what the church has believed over centuries now. Those, those core beliefs that are articulated in things like the Apostles' Creed, when, when, you, when you see all of those things and you realize whether it says Lutheran over the door or Wesleyan or Baptist or Pentecostal, you realize that if we believe in Jesus and we are surrendered to him and filled with his spirit and baptized into his family, we are brothers and sisters with all of those people. It does not matter the name that's over the door. If we are all following Jesus, we are part of his body and he only has one church. He doesn't have a Baptist body and a Wesleyan body. He has one body and it's known as the church. And I wanna, just, I wanna just make sure we're all clear on that because some of you, when you drive through our community and you see another church that's succeeding, you just have that moment of thinking like, I hope they stumble a little bit and our church does a little better. And I, again, I don't know how else to say this. That's just wrong. It's sin. There are brothers and our sisters and we're all part of one church with them. And so when they're succeeding, guess who's succeeding? We are succeeding. Because there's only one church. Now that was a great place for an amen, but I didn't hear anything because it's quiet in here because it hurts when we think about that reality because it's convicting for some of us. We look at other bodies of believers and we think to ourselves, they're not as good as we are or we're better than they are. Or, I hope that we do as good as them. And I'm telling you, if you're thinking along those lines, you're thinking about it all wrong. We are one church, one body, and we have one mission only, and that's the mission that our head gave to us. Go into all this world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and lo, I will be with you until the end of this age. We have one mission, and Jesus only has one church, and we're part of that. Whenever you're baptized into the church, and by the way, if you haven't been baptized, we're doing baptism this fall, and you should be baptized. It is clearly commanded in scripture that when you come to faith, you repent of your sins, you're baptized, and you enter into the family of God. You should be baptized. And so if you've been walking with Jesus for, for one day or one minute or, or, or 10 years, and you've not been baptized, I'm just gonna invite you to be baptized this fall. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, he says there's one baptism. In Ephesians chapter four, he says, do whatever you can to maintain unity in the bond of the spirit because there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and in all and through all. There's only one God. There's only one Lord. There's only one Christian faith and there's only one baptism. And when you go under the water and you're baptized, you die with Christ. You're buried with Christ. And when you come up out of that water, you are raised to new life and you are a part of the family of God and he only has one family. 
we got to understand when we think about the church that we must live together in unity because there's only one body. But when we talk about unity, then we start saying, but does that mean we all have to be the same? Do we all have to like hockey now? As much as I would like to say the Lord has spoken to me, and yes, you must all like hockey, the reality is, is that when we think about unity, we have to have another concept, which is also communicated in 1 Corinthians 12, and that's the concept of diversity. This is really important, because sometimes when people talk about unity, they think that means we all have to be cookie-cutter Christians, dress the same, talk the same, think the same, act the same, don't have any difference of perspective or, or opinion, don't have any different, uh, different viewpoints, don't ever bring up anything that's not in this straight line of thinking and talking and acting. And the reality is, is that it's important for you to know that while we must live together in unity because there's only one body, it's also important for you to understand diversity, that unity is not conformity. You do not have to be like me. And the church said... Amen. The world has one of me, and that's enough. You do not have to be like everyone else. You do not have to put away how God made you because he made you. With your personality and your, your quirks and your your idiosyncrasies. He made you. He put you together in your mother's womb just the way you are, and you bring that to the table. Now, now, that doesn't mean you bring all of the sin with you, right? People will talk about, I was born this way. That's right. You were born that way. That's why you need to be born again, because the way you were born is sinful, so it's not just about saying, I was born this way. It's about realizing that's why you need to be born again so that you can become everything God wants you to be. So you put away the anger and the hatred and, and, and the jealousy and the selfishness and all of those things, but you don't put away your personality and your gifts and your talents and your abilities. And you don't, you don't put that stuff away because God made you that way. And we actually need that in the church. You say, where do you see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Well, if you look at verses 19 and 20, Paul says, how strange a body would it be if it only had one part? Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. What is he saying? He's saying, you would, it would be silly if you were all hands. I mean, not to mention you wouldn't be alive because hands don't pump blood to the rest of your body. You need a heart for that, right? But if, if your whole body was just one part, number one, it would look silly. Number two, it wouldn't be very effective, right? You could hold on to things, but you couldn't see what you were holding on to. And you wouldn't be able to smell or hear if every part of your body was a hand. 
right? It would be silly and foolish to think that way. So why would we come into the church and say, everybody's got to be one part. We need everybody to be a teacher. We need everybody to be an administrator or whatever gift you like the most. No, that's not the way the body is designed. Everybody has different gifts. Not everybody teaches. Not everybody leads. Not everybody administrates or helps or serves. Not everybody has these, all these gifts. We all have different gifts and different perspectives and different philosophies. And, and God made us that way. Because God loves diversity. I want to say that one more time. God loves diversity. We do not all have to be the same. We just have to be united. Right? Because here's the thing. There's a third concept that we have to understand when we think about unity and diversity. We also have to think about teamwork. Because if you allow it, you can say, look at how different we are. We should just form up little groups so all of the people that are more alike can be in a little group and we'll have our kind of own little focus and emphasis and, and then we've got all these little groups and every little group has their own vision and their own perspective and their own approach and, and we get all these little pockets and all of the sudden diversity has actually become division. And I just want to let you know that that's not the design of the church. We are called to be one body made up of many parts. And how do we do that? We do that through teamwork. We all have different gifts and different abilities. There's not a single person who has all the gifts. And there's not a single person who lacks a gift. Everybody's got at least one gift. Many of you have multiple gifts and you are called by God to bring them into the church and work together like a team to see the mission of Christ fulfilled. Now here's what happens inside of the church if we don't buy into this idea of teamwork. We get little groups of people and they walk over to one little side of the room and they get a group around them and they say, okay, we're going to run this ministry inside of the big church and this ministry is going to have its own mission and its own vision and the things we're trying to accomplish and they start running in their direction. And then there's another little group over here and they get their perspectives and their ideas and they say, we're gonna, we're gonna be about this. This is the thing we really care about. And they run down their road with their mission and their vision. And before you know it, it's not a team. Little teams, but little teams not necessarily fighting. They're just pulling in a bunch of different directions. And do you know what happens when, when a body just pulls in different directions? It gets ripped apart. It gets, it gets divided and doesn't work. And I just want to be really, really clear right now. Man, for those of you who are college students, I, I promise I'm not like this every Sunday. But I'm just, I just am saying it like it is today. Here's what happens inside the church. We get all these little teams pulling in their own direction and those churches go nowhere. They just spin in circles and they don't accomplish anything for the kingdom of God. They do a bunch of good activity. They're busy, calendar's full, but they don't accomplish much. And I just want to be really, really clear. I, I want to just say it exactly like it is. In this church, we have one mission, and that is to make disciples. 
That comes from Jesus. We didn't write that, and we don't have a choice in the matter. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That's our mission. And in this church, we have a vision about how we are supposed to go accomplish that. And the way that we got that vision is through an 18-month discernment process where people in this church participated. Over 160 of you sat in focus groups and gave input. And we had a team of people that prayerfully discerned, God, what are you saying to us for this season in the life of our church? And so with that mission out there on the horizon of making disciples, God gave this body a vision about how we're supposed to accomplish that. Now, you might be here, and Lakeview might be your church home. If it is, that vision that God has given us is your vision for our future. And if it's not, I want to just kindly ask you to find another church where you can pursue a vision that you believe in. Because this house only has one vision. We don't have multiple visions. We're not going to run in 20 directions. We're running in one direction, and it's the direction that God gave us. He didn't give it to me. It's not my vision. He gave it to us. We walked through an intentional process that we discerned together as a body of believers to say, God, what are you asking us to do right now? And God answered our prayers. So we have one vision. One vision. And we need to come together as a team to accomplish that vision so the ultimate mission of Jesus to make disciples can be fulfilled in the way he has asked us to fulfill it. Because our church is one part of the church in Grant County, and God has given us our part to play in that process. Now, it's really quiet in here, and you might not like what I'm saying, but you can never say that I'm not telling you the truth, because I'm committed to that. We can only have one vision, because if we have multiple visions, we will spin in circles and we will go nowhere, and I am not interested in leading a church that goes nowhere. We have a vision, and we are going to pursue that with everything that is within us, and that requires teamwork requires us to bring our contribution to the table. God's given you gifts and abilities and passions and personality, and he's asking you to step in to what God is leading us to do and to bring what you have to the table so that as a team, we can accomplish the goal that he's given to us. And this is in the passage. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 25 and 26, he's talking about the design of the church, and he says, this makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. Why? Because we need each other. I can't accomplish that vision on my own, and you can't accomplish it on your own either, but together, we can do what God's asking us to do. We need each other. This makes for harmony. And it says we care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's not about me and it's not about you. Sorry if you thought it was. It's only ever about the mission of Jesus. Because we're his body. 
It's not our body. It's his body. And he just wants everybody in the world to be his disciple. And he's asked us to play our part in that journey. So what do we do with this? Let me give you kind of the main point, and then I want to just give you some application very quickly. The main point of this message is this. I just want you to know today, you are the body of Christ. Not you individually, but you together are the body of Christ, and you are equipped to serve, to see Christ's mission fulfilled. You are the body of Christ and you are equipped to serve. We have everything that we need to be the church that God is calling us to be. We don't have to be another church. We should just be this church. And God has put all the parts together just like he wants them to be. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27, it says, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Don't forget that. And then if you go to verses four through six, he says there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. Different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. Listen, you are the body of Christ and you are equipped to serve. So how do you do that? Find your calling. That's the first thing I would say to you. Find your calling. God created you and designed you with personality and passions and burdens and gifts and abilities and strengths. He gave you all that stuff. Comes from him. And all of those things that make up your design, your design is a major clue to your destiny to the calling that God has for your life, right? In Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, we are told that you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. When God made you, he had a plan for your life and it's your job to find that calling and that calling is wrapped up in who he made you to be. God made you a certain way to do certain things. Find out how he made you and then go do the things he made you to do. And when you're doing that, you'll be living out your calling in this earth. So find your calling. And if you say, how do I do that? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Because this fall on Wednesdays at Lakeview, we're gonna have a personal calling workshop and we're gonna actually walk you through the steps to figure out your divine design so that you can do what God is calling you to do. Find your calling. Secondly, I'd say do your job. Do your job. I know that here in Indiana, you guys don't like Bill Belichick. I get it. I get it. But he's a good coach. I think he might be the greatest coach in the NFL. And if you know anything about Bill Belichick, what you know is he has a simple phrase and he says it all the time. If you watch highlight film, you watch him in huddles, you watch him talking to individual players, you know what he says? Do your job. Don't do someone else's job because if you're doing someone else's job, your job's not getting done. And if you're just lazing off when you're out there on the field and not doing your job, your job's not getting done and someone else has to pick up the slack. So just get out there and do your job. I want to say that to you today. Just do your job. Don't do someone else's job. 
Don't think that job seems like a better job than the one I was assigned. If your gifts and abilities put you in this lane, stay in that lane and do your job because we need you. We need you to do what God has created you to do. And some of you are sitting on the sideline. I just want to tell you, church is not a spectator sport. It is not a spectator sport. It is not like football where thousands of people sit in the stands and 22 people out on the field doing all the work and the rest of us just sit and watch. That's not what the church is. The church is everybody in the game all at the same time. So find your calling, do your job, and then thirdly, play like a team. And because I've talked about the NFL enough, I'm going to switch and talk about the NHL a little bit. Come on now. You know I love hockey. And a few years ago, we got to go to Lake Placid. And some of you guys, if you know anything about hockey, you know Lake Placid was the site of the miracle on ice, right? United States hockey team, 1980 Olympics, they, they go all the way, they beat Russia, and then they go on and win the gold medal game, and it's just this amazing run that the United States hockey team went on, and we went to Lake Placid, I stood at the glass, I looked at the ice where the miracle happened, and just had a moment, just a moment, right? Here's the thing, though, what allowed them to be so successful in that Olympic tournament is that they played like a team. But here's the thing, when they joined the team, they didn't play anything like a team. Now some of you don't maybe know how the hockey teams were formed in 1980, but they would go into the best college hockey programs all over the United States and they would select the best players from these top college programs and assemble them into one United States hockey team. And these guys would show up at their first practice and Coach Brooks asked them, what's your name? And they would say their name and then they'd say, who do you play for? And they would all say their college program. And all of these guys standing in a circle waiting to get on the ice for their first practice are looking not at teammates, they're looking at rivals. I mean, these are the best programs and the best players in the United States, and they're playing against each other all year long, and they do not like each other. And every practice, Coach Brooks would say, tell us your name, who do you play for? And they just constantly could not come to a place where they got along and played together well. So they're coming up to the Olympics now and they're playing in exhibition games. And to be really clear, the United States hockey team was really talented in 1980. But they played Norway in an exhibition game and it was bad. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. They played horribly. And after the game ended, they all went back to the locker room. Coach Brooks followed them in and said, don't take off your skates. Don't take off your uniforms. I want everybody back out on the ice. And he puts them on the blue line. For those of you who don't know anything about hockey, the blue line is the end line. And there's a drill that they do in conditioning to go from the blue line to the red line and then back again. And he lines them up on the end line and he tells them, we're going to do this drill. You guys played horribly. You're going to do this drill. And he blows the whistle and they skate. And he blows the whistle again, and they skate. And he blows the whistle again, and they skate. And he's doing this not as punishment. He's doing it because he's trying to teach them a lesson. 
So I'd love for you to watch the clip and see the lesson. This cannot be a team of common men because common men go nowhere. You have to be uncommon. Again. Herb, this has gone on long enough. Everybody on that line. Somebody's going to get hurt. Everybody get on that line. Hey. Again. Again. Herb. Come on, Craig, blow the whistle. Again. Who do you play for? I play for the United States of America. That's all, gentlemen. I've seen that clip like a million times, and every time it gets me, because I think about the church. I think sometimes we come into the church, we live in a very individualized, consumeristic culture, and we come into the church and we think that it's about me, and it's about my name and who I play for. And it's in that moment when they realize that it's not about their name and it's not about the college team they play for. It's actually about the United States of America for that team. And for us inside the church, it's actually about the church of Jesus Christ. It's not about me. It's not about my name. God is inviting us in this day and in this time to be under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit to come together to bring our personality, our passions, our gifts, our abilities, our strengths, and play like a team, one team with one vision and one mission so that disciples can be made in Marion and Grant County and around the world. This is what we are called into. And this morning, I'm inviting you to find your calling, do your job, and play like a team. All month long, we've been in this series, The Spirit-Filled Life, and we've just been asking for the Spirit of God to do new work in us, to fall upon us in fresh and new ways, and to send revival to our church, to our city, to our county. We've been in here for 21 days of prayer every morning and on Saturday mornings just praying and seeking the Lord, asking him to pour out his spirit because there are 42,000 people in Grant County who have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Six out of every 10 people that you lock eyes with in our county would spend an eternity separated from Christ if they died today. We live on a mission field. 
And we need the Spirit of God to do a new work in and through His church so that disciples can be made and lives can be changed. And so we've been singing this song all month long, and it's a song of prayer. And it just says, Lord, send revival. So this morning, as we close this last service in this series, I wanna just invite you to stand. I want us to sing this song together. And I want us to make this our prayer, that the Lord would send revival. And at the end of the song, I'm gonna come back, I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna give you some words and send you out from this place. But right now, let's not go past this moment where we can seek God for a new work of his spirit to make us one body made of many parts to fulfill his vision and his mission in this place and in this time. So let's sing together this morning.